I was six, and so the twins were five. We had been left alone for a couple of days or a few days. It's hard to say. So we set off into like a close-by park, and it was my mission to hunt for food. Your hope is to stumble on that Happy Meal box with some scraps that somebody's left behind. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Murray. Oh my God, I love doing silly things like that. So here we are today with a family friend of mine, Mal Ren Corbin, a actually very, very close friend of my mother's. What's like the age difference between you and my mom? Like 25 years or something like that? I'm going to be, dare I say, 50 this uh, next month. So um, 20 years. And I have to admit, like, I think I kind of stole her from you a little bit because I turned her into like this hybrid of mother figure and sister figure. She's like you. She's a beautiful human being, like a, a lot of fun, but a lot of great depth too. She is amazing. And I, I was actually going to like revise what I had said. Like, if, I feel like to call her your friend is to like undermine the strength of your relationship with her because you are really more like a family member. And you have come such an incredibly long way. And you have written a book about your life. Your memoir, Raising Wrens, was just published. It's a story that sort of weaves together the mythology of Wrens and your personal journey of survival, resilience, transformation, growing up in Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts. People don't know how to pronounce that name of a town. If you're not from Massachusetts, many people call it Worcester or Worcester or something. It's a tough town. It's a town that's kind of plagued by poverty. There's a lot of addiction, violence. And you, unlike your parents and brother, were somebody who was able to escape that. Why don't you talk a little bit about what your childhood was like? Yeah. I would argue there's actually a lot of similarities between the family wren from Worcester anyway, and the bird in that the wren is not your cutesy little sweet chickadee-like bird. It's an odd bird. They can be really aggressive, but they're also really tough and crafty and they're survivors and they can live anywhere. They can live beside a car motor. They can nestle in an old stinky sneaker. That really describes the Wren family too, to a T. We lived in squalor. Um, so you, you'd have a pile of crusty laundry piled up to the height of the crusty counter in the kitchen. Uh, the floor you walked on was always sticky and you were stepping on crunchy things. There were cockroaches that would scuttle by your feet. Our parents didn't really fuss, I guess, with those details. Details, say. yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. Go a little deeper on that. What do you mean by like, how did you perceive your family? Um, my dad just barely completed the sixth grade and went no further than that. And um, and he was a scrappy little guy, definitely like a kind of Napoleon complex, if you will. He ha uh, was an alcoholic, not unusual for him to come home after a night of drinking and have a black eye in one shoe kind of setting. My mom, on the other hand, um, was really intelligent, completed high school, 
really bright, but also very kind of head in the clouds and also a happy-go-lucky personality. Um, and then, and they had three of us kids and I was the oldest and, or I am the oldest. And then there were twins a year younger than myself, Davy and Lisa. Where was your family living when you guys were little? Oh, where didn't we live? I would say 15 different apartments by the time we, I was 15 years old, but really all of those 15 apartments in that same two square foot area called Main South. And my mom, you know, she had some drug addiction issues. And, you know, earlier on, I would say it was, you know, fairly light, you know, um, pot, which I feel weird even saying that, of course, today, but like hash and speed. Um, but they were always at odds. Um, she was angry at him for his drinking. And he weirdly enough, really was disgusted with with the drug use. And so that set the stage for for domestic violence um, as well on the regular. I just remember them duking it out on the lawn of a neighbor during a barbecue. Wow. And there are uh, lots of people there and they were just rolling around on the ground. And I, I, I remember feeling defensive for my mom and jumping on my father's back to just get him off of her. Were you aware of the dysfunction going on around you? Was it evident to you? Did you wish you were somewhere else? Were you hungry? Were you wanting for, you know, basic needs being met? I would say definitely wanting for basic needs. You know, we were regulars at the soup kitchen. We did the food stamp thing. It was not unusual to have the electricity turned off. And definitely food insecurity. The three of us kids did end up in a foster home. We had been left alone for a couple of days or a few days. It's hard to say exactly. How old would you would you say you were at that time? I was six, and so the twins mm. were five. Jesus. Like, I think about the way you talk about parenting, and I very much remember that with my own child when they're young and they're essentially nipping at your heels. And I felt that way with the twins. So I'm six years old and the twins are nipping at my heels saying, like, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and there's no food in the house. And where's mom? And when when is she coming back? We set off into like a close-by park because what else do you do as as little kids you look for the park and the playground but it was my mission to hunt for food and so I'm dragging these twins along with me and you know it it's a sad story but there's also this strange beauty in being a child and being innocent and not necessarily knowing any differently we just are figuring, well, we're hungry, they're not here, let's go figure it out. And your hope is to stumble on that Happy Meal box with some scraps that somebody's left behind. Mm. We didn't find the Happy Meal box, but before long, the social workers were onto us. And that landed us in our, our foster home. And that was a pivotal time because... That was the first instance of our family being broken up. And ultimately, my brother Davey and I were able to go home 
But my sister was adopted from there by my father's sister, so an aunt. Wow. Yeah. And so that that was really complex because you're you're breaking up siblings, you're breaking up twins. And there's this complexity too of like I think Davy and I, as much as we wanted to go home, also felt like why doesn't she want us? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what were the people around you like? Like, did you have friends at that time and any support around you? Anyone who sort of stepped in to help you? I had a lot of great friends at that time, childhood friends, but there's one in particular that has been just instrumental in my life. And her name is Lilac. Ooh. How's that? Talk about fairy queen. Like, but Lilac was super cool, calm chill. It didn't matter what was going on. Like I I remember we were 10 years old and, you know, she's got her little little leather jacket on and we got busted stealing at the Mart. And so, you know, the store clerk pulls you into the back room and is, you know, reading you the riot act and threatening to call your parents. And Lilac's like, yeah, so go ahead. I'm meanwhile sniveling in the corner like crying my face off that I'm in trouble. Meanwhile, we don't even have a phone. Like they couldn't have called my parents if they wanted to. And um, she was responsible for giving me my haircuts. You know, not the haircuts you necessarily envision for yourself. If you can picture nearly shaved head, but with long, bushy bangs, almost forming a bird's nest type vibe. Is she an esthetician now? She's not. She's actually a a high school teacher. (laughs) Wow. Sounds like a good place for her, actually. That's probably awesome. (laughs) For sure. So take me through a little bit of like the rest of your high school career. What what happened through, through high school for you? Basically, the family continues to fall apart over the years. And my parents, they, they divorce when I'm 12. From there, my my mom does decide that my brother, she considers him kind of too much to handle now. And she surrenders him, if you will, to foster care. So now he's he's off in the system and moving through a series of independent living homes and foster care situations. And now it's it's my mom and I. It's the two of us. It's it's us girls. And it becomes kind of a hybrid, like mother-daughter friend um, dynamic, um, which included things like going to bars together and me heading off into, I would call them relationships. They're not relationships, but with adult men. Uh, and in one of those, I, I end up with a boyfriend uh, named Steve and he was, he was a young man. So I'm 14, he's 19, but he's living with a couple of other gentlemen in, his, in their 30s. And it just wasn't, it was, it was not a good situation. And I, I'm feeling like I'm getting flack for being quote unquote jailbait. I'm getting flack for being a moocher because I don't have a legitimate income. I had a little, a little part-time job working at Papagino's, Ponciarno, Papagino's, um, and also going to school, but I can't contribute meaningfully. And and the roommates are aggravated with this. And so, and, and the, the quote unquote relationship with Steve is. They sound like real good guys. Super solid. Yeah. 
kind of guy you really want to hunker down with for life. That's right. So I had to, I, I needed to get out of that situation. And now for the first time, I'm on my own. I'm responsible for myself. And I've just decided on my way to school one day as a freshman that I've got to change my life. So I show up to school and before heading to class, I decide to stop by the main office. And in our main office, we had two office ladies and I'm knocking on the glass to try and get their attention. Yeah. Isn't it funny how they always go by office ladies? <laughs> you know, the office ladies. You gotta love the office ladies for sure. And I finally get their attention and one says, you know, what can we do for you? And I said, um, I think I need a foster home. And the two of them, their heads like pulled an owl and did like the 180, like what? And they place me in, in a foster home. And so my social worker takes me from school. We go by the boyfriend's apartment to collect my belongings, which fit in like two cardboard boxes. And um, he's driving me to my new, my new home. And it's on Kilby Street. And when I realize we're going to Kilby Street, I'm horrified because I had my own set of horrifying in, you know, where the various places I lived. But Kilby Street was where all the drug deals went down. My new foster mom answered the door and she was a very disheveled, unkempt woman with a scowl on her face. And while I'm standing there with her, she hands me a laminated list of 13 rules to abide by. And the last one in bold says, no toll calls. And all I can think is in my strange little twisted uh, mind about my, my family and my life is, I feel like maybe I should call my mother and tell her where I am. Like, what if she doesn't know where I am. To be honest with you, I, don't, I wasn't on her radar anyway. But in your 14-year-old mind, you know, that's, that's what I was thinking of. And so I went to bed that night knowing full well I was going to get on that bus tomorrow morning to go to school and I was not coming back. And where did you go? Um, I went to school and I'm sitting in the back of the room and I'm clearly like just anxiety ridden. The, the end of the day is inching closer. I don't know where I'm going. And um, my English teacher, Mrs. Arisey, could tell something wasn't right. So she pulled me out of class into the hallway and it's like, what is, what's going on? Is everything okay? And I said, well, you know, things didn't work out with my boyfriend and I was in a bad foster home situation and I, I just don't, I don't know where I'm going to go. And um, she just said, you know what? Like, I'm taking you home with me for the night and we'll figure out the rest tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I mean, for her to take that risk, that professional risk, but, and her husband didn't even bat an eye. They had a baby at home and it just was the warmest. Don't make me cry, Caitlin. Mm. I don't know how you haven't been. I've been crying the whole time. <laughs> I started off with the McDonald's <laughs> box, hoping to find a McDonald's. <laughs> I know there's part of your story where you were um, living in, in a friend's closet for a period of time. Will you talk about that and describe what was going on there? Yeah. And, and in full transparency, it was just one night. But Sherry was another friend of mine that was willing to 
take me in for the night. The problem was, is her parents were not fans of mine. Sherry's mom was like a PTA member. Mm. Like she wanted no part, understandably, of of her child being around the riffraff. So Sherry's answer to that was, well, I'm going to, I'll sneak you in. And the spot she had for me was in her closet, in her bedroom. And I'm not talking like a walk-in closet like we might see today. This was your standard, what, you know, three foot wide, two feet deep. And she hooked me up with blankets in there and a pillow. And um, we had like a, a lamp pulled just inside the closet as well. And it, again, it was, it was a sad set of circumstances and really tough and awful time, frankly. But in those moments, we just, we thought we were a riot. Like we were getting away with something really big here. And, you know, it was hard to not even chuckle in that space together. She snuck me out of the kitchen, you know, one of those giant tubs of cheese doodles also the two liter bottle of A&W root beer. Um, and her kitchen was right off of her bedroom. And you can smell like the pot roast and the gravy and the potatoes. And, and they're having a very just, I guess, quote unquote, typical family dinner where everybody sat together and there was conversation and some jokes, like no tension. I'm I'm sitting there and I'm I'm sucking on a cheese doodle and I'm I'm sucking on it because I'm trying to be quiet. You don't want to crunch. <laughs> Have them hear that crunch. But then all of a sudden you hear her mom say, Where the hell is the root beer? Like she's like looking around for that two liter. And meanwhile, there I am in the closet. Yeah, that was uh, my adventure with Sherry. Also, can I just say quickly, fuck Sherry's mom. <laughs> she could see you now, Mal. Oh my God. Yeah, it's too funny. <laughs> so you're about a freshman in high school or something? Yes, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, big turning point was when I was turning 15, my 15th birthday. I I um, decided to reach out to my sister, who, remember, is, was adopted back when she was five by this aunt. So I called her. And when they, she and my aunt heard what was going on, they very lovingly said, come, come with us. Gosh, it was so complicated because to be reunited Mm. with her, but it was also, it was a really strange relationship at the same time with my aunt, because she and my sister, of course, as you would expect, are really close for all intents and purposes. That's her mom. And I was almost like an extended family member at this point. And Mm -hmm. I was really lucky that somehow through the overwhelming majority of all of this time, I still managed to do really well in school. I was lucky in that it came really easily for me. It did not for the twins, um, for my sister. They, They really struggled through those school years. And I think my aunt really, she resented me for that, um, for having that success that wasn't just wasn't attainable for my sister. And so there was always this odd dynamic. And I eventually um, ended up with another aunt. They lived in, um, oh, what is it in Gilmore Girls? Stars Hollow. Oh. Like a very Stars Hollow-esque town, quaint, charming. Their life was like the Cosby show or like the Brady Bunch or Family Ties, like they legit lived like that. And they helped me with 
my dream of being able to go on to college. Like they encouraged me like, no, you should go for it. Absolutely. Like not only go for it, apply to Dartmouth College. And you went to Dartmouth College. I went to Dartmouth College. Yeah. Honestly, so remarkable. I also kind of wonder, like, where are your sister and, and brother now? My sister now lives in Florida. To be transparent, like we live very different lives. So there's not that close connection there. But I think there's definitely an undeniable and very special bond and connection for sure. Um, and my brother, unfortunately, has passed away. He committed suicide in 2018 when he was 43. And, you know, it, in my memoir, that really kind of sets off my revisiting all things Worcester. I mean, so much of my life was focused on Worcester rearview mirror. I am getting out of this shithole. I'm going to make something of my life. I had gotten married to a very nice man. I had this beautiful baby boy who was perfect in every way. I had this adorable little buttercup yellow cottage in a seaside town. It all looked beautiful, but I was I was unsettled. And there was something, I think, in having a child that just changed me fundamentally. I think when you grow up the way I did, you you have like very little, if any, self-worth. And so you're willing to defer to others all of the time, and you're always apologizing for yourself. And there was something in having that baby. I remember walking into a little coffee shop, and somebody was coming out of the coffee shop, and I'm carrying baby Jack in the infant carrier, and I'm heading in. The guy opens the door to come out, and I, I like back up and I said, oh, I'm sorry. And I thought to myself, what the fuck am I apologizing for? And not only am I apologizing for, like, what did I do, but what did this baby do? He didn't do anything. And so there was something in that that just really made me stronger and empowered me and made me just grow up a bit and realize what I needed um, and so I did, I did divorce at age 34 when Jack was four, but I eventually found my match in my husband, Greg, who is an absolute beautiful human being. And yeah, I've, I've definitely met my match. And while my life has been this beautiful disaster, if you will, and my parents were a beautiful disaster, um, I feel lucky to have inherited some of their qualities. You know, my dad was scrappy and a fighter and had a lot of spirit. And I think I'd like to think I have some of that. And my mom, she was happy-go-lucky, could just be happy anywhere. And I'd like to think I, I have some of that in, in me too. I think you fucking absolutely have all of that in you, Mal. <laughs> the good parts of your parents, you clearly absorbed all of it because you're just you, amazing. Kaylin. And just, I, you know, you, you think about having a bad day or like, you know, things going wrong in, you know, regular life where your basic needs are met and stuff like that. And just for you to kind of really, you're like, the phoenix rising from the ashes. You're born a wren, rising a phoenix. It's really amazing how you've you've come full circle in your life and faced everything. And I, I totally know what you mean about being really proud of where you came from and 
of dysfunction that you've endured and come out of. Whereas as a kid, as a adolescent, as a young adult is very embarrassing or you feel shame around that. And maybe not all of us, but often we get to a point in our lives where it's okay that shit happened and that you know who you are and why you are the way that you are through all of it and the blessings that are woven within that, right? Uh, So beautiful and spot on. What would you say to your self as a kid during like if you could go back to your most vulnerable time whenever that was if it was when you were kind of not knowing where you were going to say if it was that day where your english teacher took you in where you were just um you know so highly anxious and unsure of where you were going to end up what would you say to yourself that day if you could give yourself one message well i'm already crying i would say It's going to be okay. Also, like, to believe in yourself. Like, that, I can't say enough about that self-worth and how important that is because everybody, everybody is worthy of a happy and healthy family life. And and we should demand that. And sometimes that doesn't come naturally. And you might have to find it in other ways. And I feel really fortunate to have been able to do that. But I wish I could tell myself all those years earlier because it took me a long, long time, I think, to figure that out. Congratulations. Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much. What is your favorite snack, Mel? Give me a chip and dip any day. Mm. And I'm talking about the Lipton onion soup mix with the sour cream. The onion dip. Yeah. Yes. It's fucking delicious. It's what's, your, what's your chip of choice with that? I'm going to go with the Uts. It might be a controversial choice. And it's not, there's no ridge involved. No. Okay. I was going to ask if it was a, with a ripple or not. No. Um, mine is similar. It's, I was just going to say original Lay's potato chips. <laughs> Close second for me. (laughs) (laughs) You dirty dog. (laughs) Mal, your book is here. It's available. And I know that there is a whole lot more shit in the book that you did not get around to describing to us in this conversation today. So where, where can we find your book? You're right. There's some crazy shit in there that we just, we can't even scratch the surface of today. But um, book is available through Amazon, as well as uh, barnesandnoble.com and my publisher's website at um, sdppublishingsolutions.com. So delighted to be able to support you, Mel. (laughs) Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you so much for listening. If the show tickled you, inspired you, share it with a friend and please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts because it's actually really helpful to me. And if you want to share your big time adulting moment or be a guest on our show, please write to me at bigtimeadultingpodcast, all one word at gmail.com and subscribe to my magazine, Soul Snacks, where I curate everything you need to know into a tiny, neat little space. Now get yourself a snack.